the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report. This is the show where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I am your host today and very glad to have you with me. As we talk about culture and the changes in culture and understanding what to do in the midst of these changes, uh, we've had some great conversations. Our conversation today is a little bit different, perhaps, than we've had in the last couple of weeks, but what an incredible conversation you are about to listen to. Uh, My guest today is Mark Geist, and Mark, among other things, was a member of the Annex security team that fought the Battle of Benghazi, Libya, September 11th and 12th, uh, 12th of 2012. And as we have this conversation, we will hear the story. He'll retell the story. Uh, What an incredible story. But then make application to leadership and faith in dark times. We understand that we're living at a difficult time. Uh, Sometimes it feels very dark. But in the midst of difficult and dark times, there is a place for both leadership and faith. Mark talks about those. And I'm really grateful to be able to share this conversation with you. co-author of the best-selling book, 13 Hours. He's an international speaker, founder of the Shadow Warriors Project, which I'd like to talk about for a few minutes today as well. And maybe most important, I don't know if it's the most important or not, but the one that jumped out at me, all the wonderful things Mark has done, former United States Marine, um, and that's the one that (laughs) that only gets me. Uh, You you have the right background, so that's why you've been able to do the rest of it. Uh, Man, I really appreciate you taking some time to uh, jump on with us. Uh, Really honored to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Let's, uh, let's start, Mark. Uh, I think a lot of people are very familiar with your story, but I, I know that a lot of people are not as well. Yeah. So maybe you can give us the, the Cliff Notes version, kind of the summary of uh, what took place those, those two days uh, in Benghazi. This is one of those um, events that I believe could be forgotten if people like you and others don't continue to talk about it. It needs to be known. It needs to be understood. Can you give us kind of the outline of what took place that day? Well, and, and to follow in with what you just said is that's one reason why we wrote the book because, you know, the politicians, and we tried to keep it away from the politics because, yeah. you know, they, they were screwing it up enough already, um, <laughs> you know, but it was either them telling the story for history or us. And the best way for us to do it was put it in a book because once it's written into a book, it's going to be forever there. They're, they can't change that. Yeah. Um, you know, minus just burning all the books, but, uh, you know, God willing, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Right. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, you kind of covered it a little bit. I was in the Marine Corps for 12 years. Uh, um, I came from a family of, uh, of veterans. My grandfather was a World War II. Uh, um, he was really kind of my hero. He was a World War II yeah. tank commander. Um, had five Purple Hearts, two Silvers, a Silver Star, Bronze Star, um, North Africa campaign, which was kind of interesting that you know, when you go back and look at where a lot of the battles were fought in North Africa, there's a good a good chance that he probably ate some of the same sand as yeah. I did when I was in Libya. Wow. But uh, then I had three uncles, two in the Navy and then one in the Marines. Uh, he was in the Marine Corps from 1958 to 1968. And wow. those wow. 
that background is probably what really pushed me into the Marine Corps, which ultimately, you know, after a year, after 12 years in the Marine Corps, um, I worked in law enforcement for six years, had my own business doing bounty hunting for three years, which then led me into the contracting world um, and ended up in Benghazi on September. Well, I actually got there about 45 days before that. Um, and, you know, September 11th was for us, it was every day, you know, it's every day's of September 11th. But yep. um, I had been out in town that night with a female case officer. We were uh, meeting with a local Libyan couple for uh, celebrating their daughter's birthday. Um, but uh, I got a call from Ty, Tyrone Woods. Uh, he was our team leader um, in the contracting side of things. And uh, <clears throat> he said, hey, I need to get back to the annex, stay away from the consulate. And so I had to break the meeting, gather up the female case officer and uh, kind of take a, take a long route back because uh, I could have drove straight through, but it would have took me real close to the consulate. So we kind of headed uh, west down the coast and then kind of cut back through the desert a little bit. And uh, when we got back, uh, the rest of the team had already left to go over to the consulate because they'd gotten, um, you know, the call that they'd been overran by 40 armed insurgents and, uh, you know, and, and really kind of what sent them over the edge to after being told to stand down twice, um, the third time they got told to stand down. And then when they heard what came over the radio was the team leader for the state department security detail saying, if you don't get here now, we're going to all die. Yeah. Well. Now, you know, obviously there was a few expletives in there as well <laughs> and you could hear the fear and the panic in his voice and uh, right. you know i heard the same thing over the radio once we got in the car and turned on our while we were driving back when i got the uh got our secure comms up but uh they had moved over there to get eyes on target um see what assess the situation from their eyes instead of depending on a third country asset um I had taken over security when I got back at the annex and, you know, basically covering um, about 26 people, making sure that uh, that nobody came over and started on our place, what they were going to do over there. Hmm. Um, our team, Tig, Tyrone Woods, Jack, uh, DB, and Tonto split up into two groups. Three came through the front gate while the other two got to an elevated position to try to provide um, – both uh, cover fire and let them know what to come into, what they're coming into. And Tig and Jack and Tyrone came through the front gate, front gate, and were basically confronted by forty armed individuals. I mean, you didn't know who was who because they're all mm-hmm. in civilian clothes of some sort right. or another. Right. Um, you know, they were, your best bet was it's you know it's kind of like playing a gunfight. You know, whoever points the gun first or who moves for a right. gun gets shot. And, right. You know, and, and you being a Marine and you understand that, you know, the only way three people can take out, take over something like that is between two things. It's, it's the element of surprise and the sheer violence of action. Sure. And when they come through the front gate, anybody that didn't, that was not supposed to be there started getting, started getting shot in the face. Um, and, you know, I think it, the surprise and the overwhelming velocity of fire that they brought forth, just those that didn't get shot and killed pushed off the back of the compound and uh you know and, and through and really it's through the grace of god uh, i kind of call it our seventh man that was on our team that night mm, yeah and and it was christ himself looking over us god putting his grace and uh, protection over us because you know you really think about three guys going up against 40 who had already been there for 15 20 30 minutes so you know thank goodness they didn't really 
they weren't trained well. Yeah. They didn't start setting up their defensive positions. They didn't plan on a counter assault. Um, so, you know, all the things kind of fell in our favor and were able to push them off. They found Sean Smith's body. He had uh, been deceased from smoke inhalation, started searching in and out of the building for the ambassador, couldn't find him, um, started to get a counter assault from the back gate. They went up on top. Tig went up on the top of the roof, uh, another another great Marine that was there. Um, <clears throat> and there was a guy in the back gate shooting an RPG at him and uh, right over the consulate, I mean, right over the ambassador's residence. And it went over, two of them went over. And right as the guy fired the third one, Tig came up, put about eight, nine rounds down range. And uh, you could see him. And, and I actually got to see this on the, on the overhead uh, with the drone footage because we did have a drone there. Yeah, well. Um, but you could see the RPG coming from the back gate. You could see Tig's tracers going past him, and it killed him. But then about halfway there, that RPG, I mean, it literally almost stopped and took a right, a 90-degree turn, and took off into the somewhere else. Um, no way. And, you know, wow. you know, you've been in that kind of situation. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's literally impossible that that would happen. I mean, and again, that's that seventh man protecting us because yeah. – uh, the odds of a five five six, you know, a, tw- a, a built up a twenty two round on steroids going on. What is it? A, I think it's a fifty five, fifty seven millimeter rocket being traveling twenty some odd feet per hundred feet per second. Um, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. Yeah. And uh, um, and, and it's funny because it's not like it went off and trailed off. It just literally like took a ninety degree turn. That's crazy. And. Uh, you know, and that really kind of when Tig killed that guy, that took and their the RPGs didn't hit. It took the fight out of them, and so they pulled back again. And uh, by that time, the State Department guys were able to leave. They headed back to the annex uh, because really it was an undefensible position. I mean, the, the ambassador's residence, that whole compound was about eight acres. Um, you know, they they had. The State Department had a few um, local local uh, Libyans that were uh, part of the Feb 17 Martyrs Brigade that were uh, um, hired to protect, kind of be the QRF. Uh, and then they had five of their diplomatic security guys. And, you know, they were great guys, but uh, they, they weren't, they didn't have the experience to deal with what they were faced that night, unfortunately. And uh, so they headed back to the annex the guys had to make the decision to keep searching for the ambassador or pull back uh, to a defensive position. We had an asset on the ground come in and tell us that there was another hundred guys mask, you know, uh, kind of gathering outside the walls to do another counter assault. So the Tyrone made the call to head back to the annex and, uh, and set up to a better fighting position. Um, so we all moved back there. The state department guys that came in I, when they came in, Two of them were, well, one of them was pretty much out of, out of, uh, um, he was not combat effective. That was Scott. Scott, we got him into medical. The rest of the guys got him up on rooftops, setting up our 360 and tying them to the, you know, Ron and the team came back and basically filled in any slots that we needed. And we waited for the next one to come and, you know, they didn't disappoint us, uh, over the next, uh, this was getting on about one o'clock in the morning from one to five, about five fifteen in the morning, we got attacked three more times. Wow. Um, and it was pretty steady with lulls, you know, um, of them 
And it ended with the last one at about 5.11 when they opened up with a complex attack of belt-fed machine guns, AK-47s, and indirect fire with 81-millimeter mortars. Incredible. And uh, out of four mortars they fired on us, three of them actually hit the rooftop where myself, Ty, and Glenn were at, and uh, Dave, the State Department guy. Um, the blast landed about 15 feet, 17 feet from me. Um, the first one, the blast went through me, killed Ty. The second one landed in front of Glenn, took him out. Um, third one, um, I caught shrapnel from all three, and so did uh, Dave, um, I think, caught pretty much shrapnel from all three. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it was a blessing that I'm still here because, as you know, you know, an 81-millimeter mortar has yep. a kill radius of about 100, I think it's 132 feet, 131 feet, somewhere in there. And that means if you're within about night, you know, you got about a 97% chance of dying from that. Right. And uh, I was within 15 to 17 feet of three of them. Um, so I figure the good Lord, I'm a stubborn jarhead. I mean, I've always been a Christian. I've always tried to follow Christ, but kind of like a lot of people do was pre Benghazi was fight my way instead yep. of his way. Yep. And, uh, you know, it took him blowing me up three times. I'm kind of a hard headed jarhead so <laughs> i'm yeah. like okay okay lord you got my you got my attention i wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the mighty oaks foundation many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Yeah, it takes uh, it takes more to get the attention of some than others. Apparently, that's what you needed. <laughs> yeah, man. Hearing you talk about that uh, that RPG, I had this image in my mind. So we were in Baghdad, uh, April tenth, two thousand three, the Battle of Baghdad. That was our battalion, and it was dark as we were coming into the city. And what was happening for us? We were kind of channeled in between these buildings, and these RPGs were coming down on our convoy. Um, and so you watch the tail of that, right? You can see it because it's dark. And then, and this has been talked about a lot about when we were in Iraq, watching those things move. And, and it's the same thing. We've talked about how God is, is present. Uh, um, hundreds of Marines should have been killed that day. And we had some, some KIA. We had a bunch of casualties. But the providence of God in that, unless you've seen that, it's really hard to explain to people. Um, it is. And, and it sounds spooky or whatever. It's not. And it's so real because you're watching it happen. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, and, and, and people, I, th- I think part of it is people, unless you have that relationship with Christ, a good solid one, you try to put things in ways that 
make it understandable. Right. Instead of right. accepting the fact that, you know what, there is something bigger out there that, you know, it's, it's called Christ. It's called God that looks out for us. That is there if we want him to be there in our lives. That's great. And, uh, and it really just takes one thing and that's to ask for it. When did you, um, God got your attention during that battle, but when, when did your relationship with Christ begin? What was the circumstance around that? Well, I was, I was raised in the Methodist church. I mean, um, went to, you know, Bible school every Sunday. Um, I was sung in the church choir and it was a small country Methodist church. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was from birth. It's just the family was always that way. And, you know, um, it was about church was about two miles from home hmm. across about three cornfields. So, you know, we would, after we got done, parents would drive home. We'd always, me and my brother and a couple other kids that lived in that area, we would all just run, run through the cornfields and go have fun heading home. But, uh, right. it's really kind of small town country world is where it started. Yeah. Um, man, you said so many things that I can connect to. One of the statements you made or you're purported to have made during the, uh, during the battle, um, was get up or die, get up or die. Um, I wrote a book called March or Die. That's kind of been my moniker for a long time. We got caught in a fight. Mortars were falling. Um, the, the percussion of those mortar rounds, I mean, I, I'll never forget what that feels like. Um, a lot of Marines hurt. And one of the statements, were, or one of the mottos we had in our battalion was March or Die. That was Charlie Company 1-5. Um, get up or die is what you said. Can you talk about that? What does that mean to you? And how does that how does that apply to people who are dealing with the craziness of life right now? Well, you know, and, and really that's the mindset that I took to things is, uh, you know, you have two choices, no matter how bad it is. I mean, it's from my time in the Marine Corps all the way through life. And, you know, I mean, and I think it was even before that I grew up, uh, rodeoing and cowboying and, you know, um, mm. my uncles, my uncles and my grandfather didn't put up with, you know, you not doing what was required of you. Right. And, you know, it's either you can sit there and not do something or you can make a difference and do something. You know what the outcome is, is if you don't get up, if you don't, whether it's you want to lay there, you want to be um, self-loathing, whatever the word you want to right. call it. Right. You can either do that and stay there and hope that something else or somebody else does something for you or you can make a difference yourself. And that's kind of, it's, I think it was just the mentality of life from I was raised with is, you know, get up and do something. I mean, yeah. And for that night, it was that is, I mean, I'm, you know, I had my left arm was about blown off. I had, we count, I think ended up counting like 25 holes in me from shrapnel. Uh Um, you know, and so many of them that could have been bad. I mean, that my neck was slid open. I had shrapnel about a millimeter from my carotid artery. I had, shrapnel it was about a millimeter from my two millimeters from my femoral artery i still have 21 pieces of metal in me that was not supposed to be there yeah going through the airport must be fun (laughs) you know what's scary (laughs) is it doesn't set it off that's the worst (laughs) but uh you know it's it's it'd have been easy to sit there and bleed instead of trying to make you know continue to fight i mean the first one took my arm out and I didn't even feel that one really. I saw Ty go down. I kept trying to shoot. I was swinging my arm up because you know it goes back to the Marine Corps. If I'm not fighting and stopping that, yeah, they're gonna come over there. I don't know who else is in the fight, 
I just know what I got to do. And I know Ty and Glenn are out of it. So yeah. you just, you know, you have a choice in life, either move forward or, or don't. And if you don't do something, it really ends up in death of one sort or another. Why do you think so many people who are in such a bad position in life decide to just die? <laughs> and I think dying is, you know, it's, it's kind of internal. It's not always physical. It's emotional. It's relational. It's spiritual. Right. Why do people make that decision when they understand what's at stake? I, I sometimes wonder if they truly do understand what's at stake. Mm. And, you know, if, if you've never, what's that saying? And you hear it a lot now is, you know, hard times build strong men. Right. And if you don't have hard times, you're not built strong. And if you're not sure. built strong, I mean, it goes back to why the Marine Corps does the things the way they do. Yeah. You know, we're not going to coddle you. We're not going to baby you. We're going to kick you in the butt and make you, you know, it's people talk about boot camp, you know, and, oh, they're just hard on you. They're just hard on you. Mm -hmm. to do, you know, why do they have to do it that way? There is not a thing done to us that isn't planned. And there's not an outcome that is desired from right. that plan. Right. And it is to make you hard and strong and able to, move forward even when everything else in your body may be saying you know turn and run right we want you to go that way you do it and yeah. uh, and i think that's really what it is it's, and that's why we have problems with a lot of the stuff nowadays is you know we have hard times build strong men strong strong men make easy times easy times yeah. build soft men yeah. soft men make hard times sure and you know we coddle our kids this day and age yeah i mean every teacher i had and when i went through school had a paddle that was about that long hanging <laughs> right. on the side of the on the chalkboard yeah. you know yeah didn't have to use it a lot but the threat of violence is sometimes just enough and, and understanding really what's at stake and i think you're right a lot of people just don't don't get it you know it's, it'd be easier to stay here and it's too hard to get up and what's really going to change that's that soft mindset yeah it's the coming you, to the fear how do you think about leadership during dark and difficult times? Obviously, there were a lot of people involved in what happened in Benghazi. You've been in a lot of situations in your life, not just that one. And those difficult times require leadership. Um, it's easy to define leadership when, you know, we're sitting here talking or in a book or something. Um, how do you define leadership in a situation that's just overwhelming? I think we're lacking it right now, but... Um, I do too. And I, I think it kind of goes back to what we've been, to. it's a, it's being strong. I mean, you know, and I think one thing is a lot of people don't understand the difference between management and leadership. Yeah. Management is about yourself. Leadership is about those underneath you. Yeah. And when I'm there to take care of people and make sure they go home. Yep. There's certain things, you know, it's, um, you know, the Marine Corps, we got the acronym JJ did tie buckle. Yeah. You know, it's it's those traits that are there that we teach from day one in boot camp. I mean, really, you start beforehand when you're at the recruiter's office, start learning what those are, and it's ingrained into you and then forced into you when there are hard times. And you know, we're not soft on those that fail. You're not gonna, you know, oh well, he made a bad decision, we're gonna let him we're gonna let him slide. It's the people below you hold you accountable. And, yeah. you know, as we say in the Marine Corps, you can delegate your authority, but you can't delegate your responsibility. That's right. But leadership also doesn't have to be the guy at the top because that isn't always where it's at. 
Yeah. Sometimes it's each of us that doing what we can to, to make a difference in somebody else's life. It, to me, it's that simple. If I'm doing something to make a difference in somebody else's life, that's leadership that's versus good. management, I guess. Yeah, no, that's great. I, and I think that that subtle shift in understanding leadership is about other people. It's not about me. Then it doesn't matter where you find yourself. It can be on a rooftop. Maybe you're not the positional leader, but here, I'm going to do what I can to serve others. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's somewhere else. Yeah, um, man, that's awesome. Um, how do we? So you and I were talking briefly before uh, before we started recording, and I said, "Hey, talk about faith if you want to." And you said, "I'm going to. I don't care who's who's asking or something <laughs> like that, right?" And this is an important thing. You have a great story. Uh, a lot of people know your story. But every time I've heard you interviewed, every time I've heard you talk, you talk about faith and you stand up for faith. How can we, as people, um, in a world so opposed to faith, continue to stand up for it? I think that is so important. You've modeled this. You've done it. How can normal people do that? Well, it's. I think it's the same thing. as you know, it's you look at what Christ did for us. Yeah. I mean, he uh, he didn't do it for him he did everything he did for everyone else i mean mm-hmm. he didn't go to and try to preach to the leaders he preached to the people that needed it the most and and wasn't caught up in the um the religion of that relationship with christ uh it's funny because i'm a persian farsi linguist uh, marine corps felt mm. some reason why <laughs> it was important to send me to language school sure and and to learn Persian Farsi back in the nineties. Wow. But, uh, you know, my, one of my instructors, he was a, an, an Iranian by trade and he'd worked with the U S government when the Shah was in. And, uh, you know, his thing was religion is a man-made thing. Your relationship with the Lord is a personal thing. Mm. And I think that we get caught up. People get caught up in the dogma of religion and, we need to get focus on not the procedures of it, but doing the right thing. And, yeah. and that's the leadership that we need from each individual is, you know, it, it's easy to uh, not be involved. Yeah. You don't have to stand up and speak it, but you have to live it. That's good. And live your life for Christ. That's and how good. you do that is, is great an example of how is leadership in itself. It doesn't have yeah. to be out there saying it. Because anybody can say it. We hear that all the time from our politicians on both sides of the aisle. Right. You no, know, this is what we're going to do. But um, you don't hear a lot of them talking about or showing through their leadership or through their actions that true faith with Christ. That's good. It's just living out the authentic relationship. That's it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Mark, last thing, um, I'd like for you, if you can, to take a minute and just talk about the Shadow Warriors Project. I know that's uh, your organization. And uh, maybe tell us what that is and, and how you would like for people to be involved with that. Well, um, Shadow Warriors Project started actually when I was uh, laying on the hospital bed in uh, Walter Reed. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that because as private security contractors, we have a workman's comp policy. Um, I was lucky that the Secretary of Defense gave me what the, in the movie they said they reenlisted me. What it really was was they gave me secretary of defense designee status he gave me authorization to get my uh, help my medical initial medical right. all through walter reed and wow. uh you know and but normally guys that get injured 
They go back home because if it wouldn't have been, and the only reason I think that happened was because of the politics of everything. Sure. You know, it was a great place where I could be put and protected from the media. Mm, sure. Yep. And heal and, you know, and have that time with family. But because otherwise I would have gotten sent back to Denver or Colorado Springs. They'd have found a hospital to put me in and, you know, I would have had to get whatever treatment there. And then you get your DBA, which is a workman's comp case. Mm. Basically, you got to file for your DBA. And then, you you know, because my pay stopped the day I left Benghazi. Wow. wow. I don't the whole time I'm in the hospital. I don't wow. get paid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and as much as we would love to think that we plan for that stuff, you don't ever plan for sure, it. Sure. Of course. You know, I'm not going to that. That ain't why that ain't how you live, you yeah. know. Um, so we struggled a lot because I didn't get my first check until after uh, January into the next year. Um, but somehow people always, I mean, we would get an envelope with cash in it. People mm. that just wanted to help that knew who I was then yep. from the office, from my background, you know, from the military, from law right. enforcement. I mean, so we were always able to make bills meet and that's kind of, we were sitting there thinking, you know, we, we can't let this happen to somebody else. And so we started it to take care of those, and the families of those that get killed and injured as private contractors or private security contractors. But it's really kind of grown, especially last year. Um, over the last two years, it's grown a lot where we now have a canine program where we're giving canines to uh, service dogs to veterans as well as contractors, which most of us that are in the contracting world, at least the security contracting world, are military veterans as well. Yep, right. And then... Um, last year, we or the beginning of this year, we started a canine uh, therapy program where we bring in eight to 12 combat vets. We introduce them to Christ. We use the dogs. We introduce them to the dogs and use the dogs, um, the canines, to put them through, um, how to, to teach them how to manage their stress. Because the canine, I mean, is how the dog acts is a direct representation of how I'm feeling that lead the, you know, the, the, right. the leash is a direct, it's almost like a horse, you know, you're sitting mm. in the saddle, that horse feels that, that energy that you have. And so we use that to show them how to manage their stress. And then ultimately, and that's why we do eight to 10 people is it is uh peer to peer counseling is everybody yeah. has to tell their story and it's not just their life, their combat story, but their life story. That's because, good. Yep. You know, so many of us join the military, especially these units that, because we're running from something or running to something. We're looking for something. And, right. you know, we show up to, we show up to combat with a bucket half full of crap already. Sure. So. Yeah. That's awesome, man. What a, what a great, uh, great program, great organization. Where can people go to maybe learn more about you, but then specifically to learn more about or uh, support the shadow warriors project. Um, our website is shadowwarriorsproject.org. And you can read more about us there. You can find a donate button if you feel compelled to donate. Um, you can also find me at markgeist.com. And, you know, there's a link there to the Shadow Warriors Project as well. And, you know, and, and over the last three weeks, two and a half weeks now, Shadow Warriors has kind of pivoted along with a lot of other veteran service organizations to help get contractors and anybody else out of uh, Afghanistan. Um, yeah. And I know Chad's been doing a lot of that too. So uh, That's right. That's uh, um, that's something that we've also pivoted, and we've been instrumental in helping a couple, two, three hundred people get out. Was helped with the uh, getting the uh, women's soccer team out, the girls' soccer team out, 
and uh, we're still gonna we're not gonna leave anybody behind yeah that's good you know, it's, it's the way we work the way we we're raised in the core that's awesome Mark, guys, thank you. That a great interview. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I hope we'll have an opportunity to do this again. I think we have a lot in common, and uh, we're definitely moving the same direction. So appreciate all you're doing. What a great conversation. And hopefully we'll be able to have Mark back on, and uh, it would be great to have him in studio. Uh, an incredible story. I, I love that story, but what I love more even than the story is uh, his understanding of faith and the presence of God in the midst of that story, which leads us to today's situation report. So many great things could be taken from that conversation, but the first one I want to point out, and Mark made this so clear throughout, God is with us, even in the most difficult of days, in the darkest of hours, uh, God is there. In fact, Mark referred to uh, God uh, as the seventh team member, understanding that uh, really his success there and survival there and uh, uh, in relation to all the things that happened, I mean, it's an incredible story. Um, The presence of God, the sovereignty of God in that was absolutely present, and so it is in our lives, and we need to uh, understand that. Uh, He went on to talk about leadership and made the distinction between leadership and management, which we hear made often, uh, but to find leadership as serving others. Leadership is not about you, it's about others, and therefore, it doesn't matter if you have leader on your name tag or not. (laughs) Uh, If you are living, even in the most difficult of times, the darkest of times, to serve others, then you are a leader. Great point. We ended by talking about faith and how to stand up for our faith. And standing up for your faith can mean talking about it, but more than that, it means living it out. Living out an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ is the very best way in the darkest of times to live out and uh, stand up for your faith. Uh, So many great things. Really, really appreciate Mark. Please check out his organization and uh, learn more about him. Appreciate you being with me today. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.